Pride and Beyond. How's everybody doing today? Yay! Yay! I'm here with Carrie Tabaski. <gasps> Hi. Hi! Oh my god, I haven't seen you in a week. <laughs> I missed you. I missed you I too. felt so empty. I know. I, cr- oh. I cried a little. Anyway. Anyway. But you guys, I am so fucking excited for today. <laughs> My guest is already cracking me up. Um, but this is actually more of a serious topic, and this is where the Bitchless Bride and Beyond part comes in. We want to educate our listeners about all different areas, and today we are focusing on fertility or infertility. Uh, today we are talking with Dr. David Riley. He is a reproductive endocrinologist at Boston IVF and clinical instructor at Harvard Med School. He's so fancy. Wow. Right? Dr. Riley is double board certified in OBGYN, reproductive endocrinology, and infertility. He specializes in all aspects of fertility care. Uh, as a former patient of Dr. Riley is an IVF warrior and a huge fan of his work, I can attest to his miraculous ability and truly awesome bedside manner. I went through IVF with both of my kids, and both times, Dr. Riley and his amazing assistant, Amanda Lane, who is also in the studio with us today. Yay, Amanda! Uh, Made a difficult situation feel more normal and borderline easy, which is not an easy task. Uh, In addition to his role at Boston IVF, David is a clinical instructor at the Department of OBGYN and, and Biology at Harvard Med School, where he teaches the next generation of fertility experts and performs research. Oh I know. He's so fucking fancy. I can't even handle it. I don't know if I'm worthy of I know. You know what, though? This, I'm I not have, quite sure I'm worthy of this you, <laughs> Dude, you, you are so worthy. I have two awesome kids because of you. And, and, I, and I think I, I'm so happy to see you today. I'm worried. I was worried I was actually going to cry because this is like you gave me my family. And, and you know what? I just want to say, like, a lot of times you think of doctors clinical, like we there's white this, coats. There's yeah. yeah, there's this kind of um, barrier between the patient, and the doctor and already like you. I, I mean, I gave you shit about not bringing me coffee and we hadn't even met like I your <laughs> bedside manner is um, or your. You know, table. Well, podcast table podcast. side banner. If you had asked Amanda, it's, maybe you yeah. would have gotten some coffee. Carrie's showing her vagina under the. Oh my god! No, no, no! I'm not. I'm not. Um, not but yet. have we run this by HR? <laughs> You'll let but, me know where we need to edit. Wow. I know we're gonna get to it, but uh, no, but, but yeah. it's. I, but that that is truly. It wasn't just. I mean, you have all the the accreditations, and you have all the experience, and I told you like only half joking that you know Carrie makes cookies and you make babies and you're you're literally doing God's work and I think and it's amazing but for me as somebody who like I went through this big process and needed to get through it with humor what I liked about you Dr. Riley is like we'd sit in your office me and my husband oh there's my ring that I took off so it wouldn't make noise anyway um we'd sit in your office and you would you would explain to me what was going to happen. You would you would talk me through the next thing or whatever process we were going through. We'd crack a few jokes in between just to like cut the seriousness because that's what I needed. And you read that well. And and I'm sure I'm I know I'm probably not like all of your clients, but it's it's it was very helpful for me. And hold on, let me tell you, there's this one quote I want to finish introducing. And normally I would let it bleed into where it goes naturally, but because Dr. Riley is who he is, like I I have to share the rest of this because you I feel so unworthy of all this. You but, no, but you I'm amazing. soaking it in. Keep going. Just keep, keep going. going. He's like, come on, come on, let's do it. Um, okay, so we are saying how you teach the next generation of fertility experts and performs research to improve future care. You've been quoted as saying, quote, as a gay man, 
I have particularly been blessed to work with colleagues who share this perspective of family and who are honored to assist individuals and couples in achieving the goal of becoming loving parents. Working at Boston IVF is an inspiration for me, my partner, and hopefully the men, women, and families to whom we are dedicated. Yay. And I was one of those families. And like I said, but it's not just about family anymore, which we'll, we'll circle back. So I, I brought Dr. Riley and... Amanda into the studio today to, to discuss not only fertility in general, but egg retrieval and freezing. And that's for you brides who are choosing to hold off on having babies until you're fucking ready, or if ever, and what that means exactly. What does it mean to have an egg retrieval? Uh, getting pregnant is part of the LGBTQ community, and fertility as it re relates to transgender patients and cancer patients. So I want to help educate our audience on all these fronts and at the same time make fertility and infertility you know, something we can talk about at a dinner party, something commonplace and not uncomfortable because it is. And it's I mean, we're getting there, I feel like um, I wish there was more resources available to me when I was going through this. So this is my gift to you. So turn it up, Brideys and Beyonders. So with that giant introduction, seriously, thank you so much for being here. It's really good to see you. I think the last time I saw you, I was in some sort of stirrup. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I promise I don't remember. Oh, good. I know. He's like, I have seen so many vaginas. <laughs> I'm going to say vagina on every show I've decided. But no, but in, in all seriousness and reality, for like, I went through it, like I said, and as just like some chick who couldn't get pregnant with her husband, you know, but it's changed. The entire game has changed. And it's, it's really exciting how much it's changed. And, you know, we mentioned egg retrieval and, you know, being, being, being able to have the option as somebody who's like in her late 20s, early 30s, be like, you know what, I haven't met my sick other or I'm not ready and but I don't or I don't even know if I want to have kids to be able to, to freeze them and make that choice when you feel ready, I think is probably one of the coolest things ever. So I'm like, tell me everything, but I want to start there. How amazing science is. Well, first of all, to go back. You're welcome. To, to, no, thank you very much for this introduction, of which I'm totally unworthy of. But that being said, I'll take not it. True. Um, but being a reproductive endocrinologist, basically you're a specialist. And we used to think of it as infertility. But it's so much more than infertility, to your point. Right. It's about family building. It's about preservation of fertility for men and women who might be facing either medical, physical, social issues that are requiring them not to have a family quite yet. It's also incredibly about seeing patients who are faced with genetic issues. Oh. And these genetic issues, we never used to be able to, number one, screen for, but now that we can screen for them and identify what the risk is they will have a child wow. with this issue, or this child may have already succumbed to that issue. That's good to know in We advance. can now use IVF in particular to take away that risk. Wow. And that has blossomed just over the last decade and a half or so. So my, my point is, it's so much more than just infertility, which is what I find provocative and exciting. Sure. You, you had mentioned when you came in that you were nervous and you were anxious. And the art of providing these services is knowing your audience. Sure knowing the context and what's great about today is you understandably see patients at their worst oh totally. you see them at their we're worst we're so fucked up and you know 
what their chance of success is going to be, but they don't believe it. Right. They lower their expectations. They keep them low because they're trying to cushion any blow if it's not successful, sure. even though I have the data to know this is going to work. This is going to be okay. And then you get to see them at their best. Yeah. And so it's kind of fun to know where you're going to go, where you're going to end up, and I feel like that's what today is all about. Oh. I'm seeing you at a point that's diametrically opposite <laughs> to when we had met. So anyways. That we, I met Dr. Riley 10 years ago. Um, let's see, I'm 42 right now. I was 32. My husband and I were struggling to get pregnant. Um, and a friend of mine actually had referred me to Dr. Riley. And it was funny. It's like I, I love that you said I was definitely not at my best because it was – I really thought I spent like all of my twenties trying not to get pregnant, <laughs> which is, <laughs> went, right? Which is so that's fun. where the education is right? focused. Yep. yep. Because and, and really and it's it was very true. It's very true, and you know what's you know what's so fucked up is that with my second kid, I had um, with Dylan, I had a C-section, which is you know obviously a surgery, and my OB she looked at me, she's like, so you have severe endometriosis. I'm like, oh, so that's why. I mean, that obviously must have been what was quote unquote wrong with Chris or me like we just it was just blocking everything but it's a surgical diagnosis so outside of having that like we didn't know but I I, I really felt like my whole 20s it, it was the joke like I took like a few pregnancy tests in my 20s praying <laughs> you know it's just I look back and go wow <laughs> didn't need those but when I, I we made the decision it was like oh my god this is something I really want I feel ready, as ready as I'm going to be. I mean, before, I feel ready for the ideal of what I think having children means. And I can't have it. And and I, I think as somebody, and Carrie, you can attest to this too, who is driven to do things and to get voices out there, you're like, are you kidding me? Like, this is a baby. There, there are people who shouldn't be having babies who have them all the time. And I'm, I'm going to provide this, like, great home. So what the fuck? <laughs> like, so... Well, that's a good point because... Thankfully, women have advantages that in my generation, I love being the oldest person in this room, by the way. You um, look great. Uh, and <laughs> you're, yeah, I don't think you're that much older. Uh, you're not. I don't older think a reproductive us. endocrinologist should be here. Maybe an ophthalmologist, but um, <laughs> um, women are afforded opportunities that in my generation they weren't afforded. Yeah. And clearly that has required us to, you know, defer childbearing. Defer building a family. That's a great thing that we can defer that now. Yes. That is a wonderful thing. But I like that word. I think where our education is lacking for both men and women is understanding what is actually a pretty intricate process, which is the female reproductive system. And to your point, it's easy to shut it down. It's easy to prevent ovulation, and therefore it's easy to you know prevent pregnancy. And that's what we focus on. Yes. But our education has not caught up with our new demographic, the fact that we're deferring childbearing, that we are given these great opportunities. And I say, hooray, great, yes. this is awesome. But it has come with somewhat of a price, and I don't think our education has done a service to, you know, to stress that. So educate. Seriously, I'm, I'm, that's, uh, that is truly why I wanted it. Plus, our relationship is one thing, but you're well-spoken, you teach but and like I said, your bedside manner. But like, so if I'm, you know, like question one is essentially like I want to talk about the millennials out there who are either haven't found their sig other yet or who are recently married but are choosing. I love that you said defer. Wow. I mean, that just sunk in with me, like deferring having children because they're like, you know, what? I'm building this career and my career got 
so fucked up when I had my kids in a in a good way that turned out positive, but it certainly didn't feel like it at the time. So it's nice to know that like if I got I did get married at 27, if Chris and I wanted to have kids like immediately that and I didn't know pretend I didn't you know have the severe endometriosis and I went to you and you could freeze my eggs so that like when I'm 37 I could say okay I'm ready I'm in a good financial spot I'm in a good spot uh, with my career so what does it mean to like freeze your eggs and all these the words that we're learning like you said where we're not really educated on so don't let me get too scientific and if it gets I will if I start snoring you'll no but let me make sure I keep it down to a relative you know vernacular layman's terms please So the bottom line is this. Um, Every month that a woman ovulates, so she's releasing an egg, the purpose of which is evolutionarily to conceive, every month she ovulates from puberty up until the point she reaches menopause, there's a small group of eggs that have the capacity to ovulate. And she produces a hormone, and this is where I don't mean to get too complicated, but that hormone is called FSH, follicle stimulating hormone when you guys hear me say follicle think egg okay okay i remember this but yes. so there's a small group of eggs each month that are dedicated to potentially ovulating okay so the fsh is going to grab one of them that's the one that gets released and at that release all the others die off and so with each subsequent month there's a whole new group that's ready one gets released the rest die off okay so you're born with a finite supply of eggs. You're never going to have any more than what you were born with. This process continues unabatedly. So eventually you will exhaust that supply. That's, I had, yeah. I'm sorry. I had no idea. Anyway, this is, again, because you knew all about preventing. Right. Exactly. Yes. Well, we're like, uh, right. Right. Put on a comment. I don't you know are, that I was as promiscuous as. Oh. <laughs> That's another show. I mean, I had have a few notches. I'm just kidding. I'm you so were. She's kidding because she was. We would have been BFFs in college. I'm turning so red right now, but I guess they don't know. <laughs> You're a ginger anyway. Don't worry about it. Okay. So, anyway, so keep going. So you're going to run out of those eggs. That's called menopause. The median age of menopause is 51.5 years. That's the quantitative oh loss of the eggs. Is it hot in here or is it just menopause? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> it's 51.5 years, but that's the quantitative loss of the eggs. Okay. The quality of those eggs. Their ability to fertilize normally and typically result in a live birth is lost five to ten years prior to that time. Oof. That's the issue you're dealing with. So as you get older, the eggs you're, you're releasing are not only coming from a smaller group each month, but they're of lesser quality and less likely to result in a live birth. So the purpose of providing fertility preservation services is to recognize there may be anything in this woman's life, whether it's personal, whether it's professional, or medically, that is going to require her to defer childbearing. So she's going to want to freeze eggs when she's younger so that if she ever needs to use them, and she might never need to use them, that's an important point, she has left no stone unturned. You know, I take care of a lot of professionals that I work with, you know, a lot of the residents and the fellows who know this data. And there are uber-educated, uber-professional young women who've deferred their childbearing. They're in medicine, and they're getting through this, and they recognize this data. 
And that's given me kind of a unique opportunity to see their reaction once they've frozen oh, their eggs. Oh, yeah. And it's like the weight of the world has been lifted yes. from their shoulders that, okay, I don't have to compromise. I don't have to rush to meet someone. And yes, David told me I might never need to use these eggs. And that may be very well be the case. You might never need to use them. But you can go on without that it's worry. It's insurance. Because that, as that clock ticks really, really loudly, it will be of less concern. Yes. The main issue is by the time women are economically secure, typically right. they're of an older age, when it doesn't work as well. Because you guys just heard me say, as you get older, the quality decreases. Well, I don't want to freeze those eggs. No, you want the good ones. The time to do it is typically when you're under 35. Yep. And the data is pretty much supportive of that. But you can imagine how many women come in my office so sadly that haven't met Mr. Wright or even a more common scenario, Mr. Wright or no longer Mr. Wright was a jerk <laughs> and he's gone. What and are you I, talking about? I then apologize. So Mr. Wrong. I apologize for my gender. but And then <laughs> they're, now they're, their clock is ticking really loudly and they want to do this but they're doing it at age 38 or 39 when it's going to be less successful. And what you really have to discuss with them, maybe it's time to consider if you really want to build a family, being a single mother by choice. Yeah. And that's a different approach, something they're not ready to face. But these are the, you know, the conundrums that we face no, every day. No, absolutely. Literally and, every day. And I would make the argument, and I don't want to get too much on my political soapbox here, but no, do it. let's make believe we lived in a world where if men, for whatever personal, professional, or medical reason, were told, you know what, you're going to have to wait to have kids. And let's make believe that impacted their fertility, which it doesn't, but this is the world that I'm designing. Okay. I love your world. And let's say freezing sperm was as expensive as freezing eggs. Living in the world I live in, being involved in women's health care for the last 30 to 40 years, I can guarantee you it would be covered by insurance. Oh, my God. I, I, well, no, and I, I have to tell you, like, I'm going to cry. Like, seriously, I, this one's very emotional for me, guys, because that is so true on so many levels. I always said that if men got their periods, like, tampons oh, and pads would, would oh. be covered. Like, there's there's just, I mean, we could. Abortion would be a rite of passage. A hundred percent. Well, when did you have yours? Oh, I was 13. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah. She wasn't the right one. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, but, but that's, but that is. Amanda's glad my parents are not alive to hear any of this. Because... <laughs> but you know what? That, but the world it's, is fucking changed. Well, look at Viagra and birth control. Yeah. I mean, for real. Hey, don't look at me when you say Viagra. I, I looked <laughs> you know. at Deb. I don't know why. I just looked at Deb, hey. not you. Because you know. I don't blame you for anything. It's a different know, podcast. If I had a penis, it would be huge. That's why. <laughs> That's why. Okay. <laughs> He's getting redder and redder. <laughs> not the podcast Amanda's you dying. for. Oh, my God. He's so red. I know. He, my parents, may they rest in peace. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Deb. Oh, my God. No, but I. They were just getting over the gay thing. I. <laughs> <laughs> That, sorry, but, sorry. but no, but no, don't be sorry. This is this. But oh, I, I'm totally sorry. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm really fucking sorry. But but that but that is such a valid valid point. This is expensive, and I will tell you that. So uh, as you know, I'm in Massachusetts, and my health insurance both pregnancies was covered. Uh, I mean, not my pregnancies, both rounds of IVF and the IUIs, which is uh, an insemination process that's less invasive, I want to say, but not really, uh, that you can go through to try and have kids. And I will tell you, this is actually one of my funniest stories. 
we I was going to, to Las Vegas for my anniversary with Chris, and it was November. I got pregnant in December through IVF and Amanda and Dr. Riley. And I were there. Let's give Amanda the credit that is deserved because my she practice is, wouldn't exist if it weren't for Amanda. Um, well, and we'll get to Amanda because I, I told her earlier, like, you're fa- like totally fantastic doctor. But Amanda was the one I talked to to, like, schedule all my blood work and, and to check the follicles that you were talking about and to do all the, like, the not-so-fun stuff. Where that's where they shove a wand up your vag and like, hey, check things out. So Amanda didn't do that. She didn't do that's that. That's the clinical way. She's an administrative assistant. We don't have them do the vaginal no, He's like, I just, for HR <laughs> purposes. Yeah, once again, room. HR is going to be all over this. I don't know if this is going to air. There's going to be a lawsuit involved this I will not post anything. I'll book your appointment and then come in and I'll walk. Yeah, in the waiting room. Oh, the waiting room's another thing I'm dying to talk about. Although we could save money this way. You could. So cost effective. Oh my God, 100%. You want to see? <laughs> Wait, is that the clinical way, the clinical term, they shove a wand up your badge? W- wand up your badge. Clinically. Clinically. Remember what I said clinical. about seeing people at their best and their worst? <laughs> <laughs> Was this, is this my worst or my best? I, I, I'm, I'm confused this right is, now. <laughs> this is my favorite. Because you're saying it with a smile on your face. So no, okay, I'm, so. I'm in a good spot. I'm in a good spot. Okay. But one of my favorite stories, so the month before I got pregnant with Molly, I, we went to Vegas to celebrate our anniversary. And I had to travel with Gonal F. And Gonal F is uh, an injection that you give yourself hormones, right? That's the like, FSH I was talking oh, about. Oh, okay. To put, to make me, right. to capture the good age. So I had said right? that each month you produce that FSH to get one out of the group to be released. The rest die off. When you're preserving fertility or you're treating women for infertility, you're rescuing those other, those other eggs from dying off. So you're supplementing exactly. your own endogenous FSH to prevent those eggs from dying off. So in this setting of IVF, yep. it's important to recognize this because the lay public often doesn't recognize the fact that we're not stealing your future egg supply. We're not depleting that reserve. We're not causing the problem we're trying to prevent. Oh. We're rescuing the eggs that you're losing that month. Does I did that not, make sense? Yes. yes. No, you're so, the ones that would have died off anyway. Right. So let me repeat because this is often yeah, a it, very confusing point. So each month you have a dedicated group of follicles, i.e. eggs. Right. Okay. And the FSH that you produce is only stimulating that dedicated group because each month there's a new group that's ready. Right. On your own, one gets released, all the others die off. When you're doing in vitro fertilization, the shots you're taking are FSH. And by supplementing your own endogenous supply, you're rescuing those eggs from dying off. You're not impacting your future. You're not causing I don't think I ever... Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Would I? I, I guess I'm. People didn't. People thought you were like stealing from the future. Oh, from your that from your future. Yeah, from the future. Yeah, in other words, if you're taking Got eggs it. out, you must be taking my future eggs. No. Yeah. Because okay. those eggs are going to die off had you not administered the medication. Okay. That is. I don't. I. You know what? I don't think I ever put that together. And I went through it. And the reason you do that is so when you go through infertility or sorry IVF in vitro fertilization, you want to have as many eggs. So you go through the retrieval process, which I went through. And which, if you're a millennial or you're a woman who's preserving or deferring her, um, her, you know, getting pregnant, then the. And correct me if I'm wrong. I gave those shots in my stomach, which I love. I really hate needles, but I got over it. Um, and to so that you could capture, like I went in for the retrieval. They knocked me out with anesthesia, and they collected my eggs, the ones that made it. 
right? The that's a really good way of describing that it. Le- and a very, very you were I taught you well. You did. Um, let me let me give you my version. Yeah. Which is very close to yours. Okay. So people get a better sense of how we do it. First of all, why do we do IVF? Okay. Can I start there? Or do you yes. Want me to go... No. Do it. Okay. So ten to fifteen percent of reproductive age couples. Um, for the female partner, that's basically age 18 through 45. Say. Dear God, okay? children at 18. Right. Um, my mother had me, and I was the youngest of three at 24 and married my dad when oh. she was 18. But let's stay away from my family issues because that <laughs> could really extend this podcast. <laughs> so basically, um, you know, 15% of reproductive age couples are infertile. What is infertility? Okay. For couples in which the female partner is under the age of 35, that's defined as the inability to conceive a pregnancy despite 12 months of well-timed attempts. And for women over the age of 35, it's considered six months. The reason you change it to six months is you want to make sure they get evaluated as their biological clock is ticking away. And the reason that definition exists, it's based on statistics. It's a, you know, pretty much a boring reason, but it's based on the fact that your two standard deviations from the mean when you've been trying 12 months and it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And that's basically how the definition is formulated. Okay, so they come to my office and you may or may not remember this because a lot of patients love to forget it, but you're doing a series of tests. Number one, you assess this concept of the ovarian reserve, oh, which are hormone tests. Yes. It's a combination of hormone tests typically timed with your menstrual cycle and it's a vaginal ultrasound. Now, a lot of young women have never had a vaginal ultrasound. Women who've had kids or have had gynecologic issues are actually pretty used to vaginal ultrasounds. And far no be it, biggie. Far be it they from, do it in the waiting room. I mean. <laughs> Apparently, my administrative assistants are, you need a raise. <laughs> or Amanda's gifted with the one. Oh, my God. My poor parents, they're looking from above. So, um, and the vaginal ultrasound, far be it from me, as a man to say what it feels like, but it is well tolerated. It's not bad. Well, the ultrasound wand is thinner than a speculum, and it's well well lubricated, and so it does work really well. And so those tests are timed with your menstrual cycle, and it assesses assesses, the quality and quantity of your eggs. So that's one test you do. The other main test you do is typically called a hysterosalpingogram, which um, has its detractors, Yes. yes. And it's a test that you basically flush a water-based dye into the uterus and into the tubes and take a picture, which is typically an x-ray. There's other more evolved ways of doing it that we now do since you have left us where you're not putting the dye in there. You're actually putting water in there, which is less... It elicits less cramps. I was going to say, I I remember it being stingy and uncomfortable and actually not as bad as I had read. Like, the problem is I, I did too much reading about it and people were like oh my god it was like the worst pain ever and then so I kind of set myself up to be in a lot of pain and it wasn't well, it's it funny was, that you say that you may that you may remember me saying that because I, I have been saying this for years way too often in my opinion women are sent to a hospital and they're in a radiology department getting this test done and this is not a me ridiculing radiologists but when you go to a fertility specialist and you have us do it yes it's far more tolerable so yeah. it's like a Yelp review when you read a bad review of a restaurant you're, you're reading the people who had the bad experience well the people who have the bad experience go to a hospital yeah. whereas if they go to a more you know um, t- 
talented center, so to speak, to provide Boston these. IVF. Yeah, <laughs> to provide this. BostonIVF.com. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're going to have a less of a difficult well, experience, and, and those aren't the blogs you're reading because no one typically well, reports. And I imagine it's like going to get a mammogram. Like if you go to the hospital, you're going to get, you know. You're gonna wait, and you're whatever. And there are places that are like spas where they're, right. they're, you know, they know how to treat you, and that's what they specialize in. And it's all you do. Yeah. Right. So that you do that test. Exactly. You do that test, and you also do genetic tests. The reason you're doing genetic tests, like any woman who presents with her partner, um, particularly the source of sperm, i.e., a man, to their gynecologist when they're planning a family, they're going to get genetic tests because you want to know what you may or may not be putting your progeny sure. at risk for. And then you also do a semen analysis. So basically what I just said, you do some hormone tests to assess the quality and quantity of eggs. Right. You do an anatomic survey with the dye for the uterus and tubes, and you do the semen analysis. Okay, so when you do that, so when this couple comes in and they're having, they meet the definition of infertility, basically the distribution of the diagnoses are, number one, 20% of the time is because the female partner is not ovulating regularly. Well, I already know that when she comes in, because she, she's not getting her period, she's not ovulating. So we have to figure so, out why. Yeah. Five to 10% of the time when you do that dye test of the uterus and tubes, it's because she has something wrong with her uterus. Oh. And that can run the gamut. There can be congenital abnormalities in how the uterus was formed. There can be fibroids, which are benign tumors of the uterus. There can be scarring within the uterus from previous medical procedures she may have had. So 25% of the time, it's because the tubes are blocked. So that dye test is looking at both the uterus oh, and, the tubes. and the tubes. And women who have blocked tubes typically are going to need IVF. So what's blocking tubes? Well, it, it's basically due to scarring within the pelvis that is the consequence of any inflammatory condition, the most common of which is previous STD exposure. Oh. And unfortunately, previous STD exposure in women often goes undiagnosed, whereas men tend to be more symptomatic. And it can be inflammatory Or they whine about it a little bit more. <laughs> that would not surprise me. Um, not that I know. <clears throat> and, uh, not me. Not you. <laughs> Sorry. Next um, week on... <laughs> next week. David's family. Oh, and oh, David's... <laughs> Brutal. Um, and then things like endometriosis, which yeah. is, as you just alluded to, is a condition within the pelvis which causes inflammation, associated with infertility, causes scarring, which blocks tubes. And then the most common single diagnosis um, is actually the male. So when you look at <laughs> He's their broken, fault, sucker. Right. <laughs> well, when you look at that 20% is ovulatory dysfunction, uh, 5 to 10% abnormalities in the uterus, 25% blocked tubes, 40 to 50% the male. And those don't add up perfectly to 100 because there's a lot of overlapping and dual diagnoses. Interesting. Um, it's the number one reason we do IVF is the male because of low sperm counts for a variety of both anatomic wow. and genetic reasons. And then there's the common one, which is more common when you see as the female partner's getting older, all the tests are good. So what's it? It's unexplained, and that's 25%. Uh, so the, it's not brain surgery to do these tests. That's why I went into it. But you know it's, what, though? Sorry to interrupt oh. you. The, the Being part of, at the time, they didn't know that I had um, endometriosis. Oh. I was undefined, uh, um, like, uh, question mark, right? That was actually worse i'd rather you say to me you know what one of your tubes is blocked or chris has a low sperm count or something like that to be like all right 
we know what it is like let's 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 go I think and and I just remember this just sitting here when you said that like I was unexplained and that was so frustrating because it's like what the fuck like I actually That's don't know tough. what's wrong and I can't do anything about it let's talk about endometriosis yes. so women who are infertile have a six to eight times higher incidence of endometriosis than those who are fertile so in other words some women who are fertile have endometriosis okay when a patient presents for her evaluation, there's clinical symptoms consistent with that diagnosis, the most common of which, and let me know how you were, but very painful periods. Yup. Pelvic pain. <laughs> yup. Pain with intercourse. Nope. <laughs> well, you're blessed. Or I have a <laughs> high tolerance. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I think I actually do have a pretty high pain tolerance, but that's a whole other. But yeah. you have a clinical suspicion, yeah. so then what do you do about it? Well, if you go to your gynecologist, okay, and you're not trying to conceive, but the pain from endometriosis is interfering with your activities of daily living. Oh, yeah. That should be treated, irrespective of the, the fertile or potential infertility issue. But when you come to somebody like me for the purpose of conception and there's a high level of suspicion that there is endometriosis, it depends on what we find. Yep. So when you had your evaluation, it was unexplained. That doesn't mean you don't have endometriosis. It means... I can't see it with our routine imaging, which is basically ultrasonography. Right. I can't see it. And the data says that to go in there and fix it might help your pain, but it's not going to enhance your fertility. Oh, okay. In that other words, sense. the treatment enhances the fertility because you need you need to get pregnant. I, I, yeah. And the best cure of endometriosis is pregnancy. Which is so fucked up. Can we talk about that? That's crazy. Like that's so cyclical and weird. I don't get it. I did not design the system. I know he's like, <laughs> yeah. look, back up, <laughs> back up. But but that but that's me. Like, and I was not surprised that I had that. Like, she, I was like on the operating table with Dylan, and she's like, so you have severe endometriosis, and she's like, you saw Doctor Riley, right? <laughs> yeah, like that's that. And that's how you diagnose it surgically. So the yeah. So when you say severe, um, if I had seen on ultrasound or MRI, whatever imaging that there was big collections of endometriosis, yes, you would need surgery before you do any treatments. Sure. But you didn't have that. No. So it was just a clinical suspicion. And since you were not coming to me for the treatment of the endo, oh. you were coming for getting pregnant. Yeah. You're basically killing two birds with one stone. You're, you're, well, you're like, going to get pregnant. <laughs> and, and to add surgery for the purpose of conception when it when there's no signs of it, is adding risk where there's not necessarily adding benefit. That's a good point. But when you go to your gynecologist, not within the context of attempting conception, but you're having pain and difficulties, yes, he or she is going to treat that and as it should be treated. Yes. Does wow. that make sense? No, that it does. Sense? No, it totally yeah. does. It really does. Now, when we talked on the phone a few weeks ago, the other thing that you said to me, so we've talked a lot about like the millennial woman or, you know, like somebody who's looking for their career, or, you know, has a million different reasons. Maybe they've had cancer or they do have cancer. They're going to undergo radiation. They want to preserve their eggs. But you also told me a story, too, that you're working um, with a transgender patient who is preserving his eggs before he goes through the change. And that is the coolest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, I can't. Okay, That's... I'm going to sound a little Oprah Winfrey-esque here. Oh, my God. Do we all that, get new cars? I apologize. <laughs> you get a baby. You, you get, get a baby. baby. You, you get, get a baby. Forty percent. Uh, this might not be an accurate um, data point, but um, I'm a doctor, so I must be yeah, sure. So you can, you can fake it. Forty um, percent of pregnancies in the U.S. are unintended. Okay. Oh, my God. 
Like the stars have to align. Like that's okay. Don't even. You know what? I should just. I don't. I don't live in that world. No. I live in the diametric opposite (laughs) world of that. Yes. Boston has the highest concentration of single mothers by choice. Because of you. And the I don't know about it's because of a lot of good people, not just (laughs) me. Yes, but you're one of them. But the point is, children will thrive. This is the Oprah part. Love Children it. will thrive when they're loved. The definition of a family is providing a loving environment for a child. That's the world I live in. Yes. So think of the different families I see, which is the point you're alluding to. I have single women by choice. I have gay dads. Mm-hmm. I have transgendered men who want to have a genetic connection to their future child, whether that's with a partner they have now, or they but don't like same, have now. Same, same, same type of thing. Like if, if you know they're going through the they they want to do it before they change themselves right. physically. Well, they some of them have already changed. So a, a not an atypical example is you could have a couple come in, and that couple is presenting to you, and they want to have a child, and the male partner is transgendered. Okay, and he may not have completed his surgery. He may still have ovaries, but for all intents and purposes, he is clearly a a man. He's a good-looking guy. He's responding beautifully to his hormone therapies. He's well-adjusted. These are awesome individuals. Right. In fact, I would, I think a man would agree they're usually our favorite patients. Absolutely. I mean, present company excluding. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) So think of it. So, So here they come in and they might have a female partner. They might have a male partner. They might not. They might not have a partner who identifies by gender. But a classic example would be a transgendered male who comes in with a female partner. Well, think of this: that female partner can carry embryos derived from her male partner's eggs. Wow! And so, what does that afford that family? Well, it gives that female partner the biologic connection that confers motherhood. Oh my God! Motherhood is not about genetics no it's adoption's a wonderful form oh of, totally you know being a mom or a dad as is having a baby that you carry derived from a donor that donor can be genetically related to your male partner because you used his eggs oh my God, so the purpose amazing. of doing something like that is before he completes his surgery before his ovaries are removed you can stop his testosterone therapies Now, this is one of the issues you have to be sensitive to. Think of what these men have gone through to be where they are. Wow. And people who don't understand these issues, I wish they could spend a day in my office and they would recognize the... We're coming. We're coming in next time. They they would recognize... The wheels are turning. Yeah, the wheels are turning. That they would recognize, and to use the parlance of my parents, that these are children of God just like everybody else exactly and it would be so wonderful if people could see it but so one of so what are these guys doing they've, they've spent their whole life identifying their true selves they've gone they've had their mastectomies they're on their hormones and so oftentimes they'll say to me when they're considering you know freezing their eggs or using those eggs to create embryos for their partner they'll say to me and it wouldn't be uncommon for tears to well up in their eyes is, 
am I going to get my period back? Because for them, it's anathema <gasps> to have their period. You're talking to a man yeah. who does not, he, has, he left that life behind. Yeah. And I uh. basically tell them I can do this so you don't. Oh, that's it. I was like, and drum they, roll. And, they, and they, they go into it and they're like, I'm in. Okay. I'm in. So the biggest thing they suffer from is you're taking them off their testosterone to do this. And typically, depending on how long they've been on it and what form of testosterone is being administered, it's going to take a couple of months, two or three months to get their hormone levels to a point where I can provide them the FSH, yep. that's mm -hmm. the hormone we're talking about, to stimulate their egg production. And the biggest complaint I hear them say is their fatigue. Their body's used to this, you know, the testosterone metabolism. But think of the embryos you create. So you create this embryo. Right. That embryo is going to be transferred, in this case that I'm using, into the partner, the female partner. She's going to have that biologic connection, which you guys know all about, yeah. that women crave, that men don't have that, you know. <laughs> they definitely don't want that connection. <laughs> and that gives them the biological connection, and he's going to have the genetic connection. So someday when, you know, they're at their block party, and the <laughs> neighborhood's there, and someone says, man, little Joey looks just like Dad. There. He, he yep. does. Yeah, he does. He does. He does. So it's pretty awesome. Because that is the, amazing. Well, the point I'm circling back to is that I live in the world of unbelievably intended Families. pregnancies. Yes, absolutely. And family is defined as an environment that provides a source of love that any child will thrive. Oh, I just got the chills. I, I told you it was kind of open. No, it is. No, but it, it like, yeah. I can't. I, and what I what I love about that, and, and kind of like where you said, I, I was joking around that this guy, the, the stars have to align. Like, when people accidentally get pregnant, like, as somebody who worked very hard for her intended family, it's, I, I seriously am like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, how? How did that even happen? And to hear, but it, but I also too, like my cousin and his husband were on, um, first, uh, second season and they have three kids and they each use their sperm, but they use the same donor mom egg so that they're all connected as brothers and sisters. There's two boys and a girl because they all have the same quote unquote mom, but they have different dads, but same type of thing, very intended families. And then I have like two friends um, uh, a gay couple, um, two of my girlfriends, and they adopted two like awesome kids who we've known since. You know what I mean? Like that, and I uh, hearing their story is amazing too, and everything that they went through as gay women driving through Iowa with two black children. So there's it's it is. I like that you say that it's very intended, and it's. I mean, I I joke that you do God's work, but you really do. I mean, it's, you do. It's, it's, it's uh, for me, you know, why did I go into medicine in the first place? I hopefully most physicians go into medicine to make an impact. Yes. And you try to make that impact through that part of medicine that gives you the most, that you're most interested in that you're fascinated by. I, I love reproductive endocrinology because it's intricate. It's, the female reproductive system, you guys, and this is why I think we spend most of the time talking about not getting pregnant because it's really complicated. Yeah. I mean, it took three years of a fellowship after four years of residency and four years of med school before you're able to even be board certified in it. It is complicated, wow. but it's intricate in a way that fascinates me. It's also provocative. These questions, these things we're talking about are provocative. 
and no no day is the same and I love that so there's a sure. there's certainly a personal yeah oh absolutely. you know I'm gaining a lot personally from it but you want to make an impact and hopefully that impact is mostly positive and it isn't always and mostly it's indelible enough on you've imprinted on that family that you've made a difference oh that's what God, I love yeah. about reproductive endocrinology well and and that and and like I said, you're here today because there's, you're right, like Boston is a, like a mecca for all of this. Um, and I, I, I'm not saying I could have chosen anyone, but there's plenty of people, but I, I like how you think, you know, and I could tell, and as a patient, especially going through not the best time in my life and mind altering hormones and mind altering hormones in the ho- when I was in the hospitality industry, I just like, want to be like, I was dealing with brides. I guess I should thank you for Bitchless Bride because I was so fucked up on the Clomid. Cool. Can I get a cut on profit? I know, seriously, seriously. <laughs> when there are. When there oh. are, yes, yes. We'll talk to you about an idea after. Um, but no, but seriously, because I was, I remember being on some of the medicines I did not respond well to. And because and, I didn't know that one medicine in particular builds each month. So the first month I was fine, didn't get pregnant. Second month, you, I remember you looked at my husband and you're like, how's she doing? And I'm like, I'm fine. And he's in the back, like doing that little circle. Like, no, she fucking crazy. Like, no, no, no. So that's when you introduced that's me. That's why. That's why he loved you. She cray. That girl. Like, oh my god. He and he still like you know. But you know what's interesting? Like, you never know. I mean, mm-hmm. it just. Uh, you never know what somebody is dealing with. Oh and, my god! And everybody, you know, people get married and then they have boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever, and then they're like, "Oh, when are you gonna have kids?" And you just you don't know. You Which, never know. You don't know what, what you're asking. It's, heart, it's heartbreaking. Yes. I mean, like I have, you know, I have three beautiful daughters. They all um, happen, you know, just I was very lucky to have it happen really quickly. My youngest was very much a surprise. She was born with Down syndrome. And that's a whole other, a whole other story. But, um, but like you just don't know for any like mental health. You you just never right. know what somebody is dealing with when they're trying to conceive. They're trying to, um, they desperately want a baby. You know, it's um, it's just Ugh. all the stuff. It's, it's heartbreaking, and, and I imagine it's heartbreaking. I actually have a question. You don't, I don't know if. Well, you probably know the answer to this. How often? Is um, is it when when a couple or or someone's going through this, and the you know what I'm going to ask? Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't. I don't know. Um, where there is a, a genetic abnormality, like Down syndrome, or um, and I know what the statistics are for when people conceive naturally and or when they're pregnant, and they find out ahead of time that they do have a baby with. Anyway, I don't want to get into that, but. Um, what like does that happen? Can we screen for that? Is that what you're asking yeah. before a patient's pregnant? Yeah. Sure. So, if I get too scientific again, just tell me to tone it down. I haven't started snoring at any time. I just had to pinch Amanda yeah. and wake her up, but that's like that's Amanda, just know, Amanda, every day. that's just called every another day. day in the office. Yeah. Believe me. <laughs> Wait, get, like, get her her With wand. The wand I'm room. so tired from all the ultrasounds. I'm, I'm so tired. She's got carpal tunnel. She gets tennis elbow. Carpal tunnel, yeah. Shows you why I'm not an orthopod. I don't know the difference. Nor a good athlete, but I digress. So when we're talking about this concept of the ovarian reserve, okay, so I told you the quality of the eggs is diminishing as that female partner or that female patient advances in age. Okay, what does that really mean? Well, every cell in our body, our DNA is packaged into chromosomes. 
and every cell has 46 chromosomes. Right. Oh, wow, you're bringing me back. So 23 within each cell come from our dad, 23 come from our mom. So to make a human embryo that doesn't have a chromosome abnormality, the eggs need 23, the sperm need 23. Essentially, unless there's other overriding issues that are not pertain or germane to this conversation, sperm pretty much always have 23. But women, as they get older, more of the eggs they produce have an abnormal number of chromosomes, although young women can ovulate chromosomally abnormal eggs, but it increases in instance as that female patient person gets older. So put it into numbers. When a woman's 33 years of age, about 33% of her eggs are going to be chromosomally abnormal. Oh, huh. at age 40? No, don't panic. Cause this is going to sound bad. I'm going to make it. I'm going. No, I'm going to make it good. I was 35 when yeah, when okay. I conceived. And I would say that around 33% would have been abnormal. That just means the ones that you're ovulating. By age 40, it's probably around 50%. By age 42, it's 66%. And when you get to age 44, it's close to 100%. Okay, let's put this in perspective. Don't let those percentages scare you. Okay. So I just told you that a woman who's 40, I just said 50% of the eggs are chromosomally abnormal. Well, that clearly does not mean that she has a 50% chance of having an abnormal child. That's not what it means because nature protects us. All that means is more the months she's ovulating, that egg's not going to fertilize. So she doesn't get pregnant. Okay. Okay, it fertilizes. The resulting embryo is abnormal, if you, how, whether you define ab- it. It has cr- abnormal numbers of chromosomes. Sure. So that embryo doesn't implant, so she doesn't get pregnant. Or it implants, and she miscarries. That's why we miscarry. Yeah. It's there's... nature's way of preventing wow. an abnormal pregnancy. So let's go back to that 40-year-old woman. I just told you sure. that about 50% of the eggs she ovulates are chromosomally abnormal. Her chance of having a child with a chromosome abnormality is based on the second trimester assessment of her pregnancy. So when you guys were pregnant, you remember your doctors doing that second trimester assessment. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that chance at age 40 of that fetus in the second trimester being diagnosed with Down syndrome, for instance, is 1 in 100 because 99% don't get there. So in other words, as we go, the point I'm trying to make is as we get older, rates of infertility increase and rates of miscarriage increase. Does that make sense? Yeah. At age 35, when you had daughter or son? Daughter. When you had your beautiful daughter, your risk would have been defined in the second trimester and they would have... It was one in 566. That's from your testing. Okay, yeah. They would have given you a general risk probably of one in 250. Okay. Wow. That so because a, most of them don't make know. it right, most yeah. of them don't yeah. make it into the second trimester. Yeah. That's how so, nature, you would have so rates of infertility and rates of miscarriage increase as we get older is the point yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to make. So you had asked the question, can that be screened? So if women are undergoing IVF for whatever reason, whether it's unexplained infertility, whether it's male factor infertility, which is where you're taking the eggs out and injecting the sperm, that's why you're doing the IVF, or whether it's because the tubes are blocked, for whatever reason you can screen the embryos for their chromosomes. That's so crazy. Oh, so, my God. So what you do is, and we can use this part of the discussion yeah, to talk about going. what IVF is. So you're taking these injections, the FSH, for about 9 or 10 days. Oy. During those 9 or 10 days, the only change in your activity is no high-impact exercise. So your life goes on, as you <laughs> may remember. No boxing. No boxing, and you feel like you have elephantitis 
of the goddamn insides. Well, this is not how I want you to sell it to my audience. Sorry, by I the mean. Way. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, it feels so good. Later. Really? Where did we get her? Two kids. Two kids. He gave me two so kids. So take it for nine or ten days, during which time the only change in the activity is reduced high impact exercise, and you come into the office about three times early in the morning for yep. a five-minute blood test and ultrasound that I review so I can adjust the dose of medication to achieve what we call an optimal response, a certain number of follicles, i.e. eggs, that I can see developing on the ovaries. After about nine or ten days of those shots, you take the final dose of medication, and then two days later, you undergo an egg retrieval. Yes. So that's the day off from work. That's the invasive portion of the procedure. Anesthesia. Like, you get knocked out for that. So, but it's not general anesthesia. Oh. So when you guys are my age, which is decades from now, you'll know all about colonoscopies. Oh, I, I, I've had two. Two what? Colonoscopies. So. And remember I'm, how easy I they were. I am your age. No, you're not. I guarantee it. I guarantee you're not. I guarantee it. I, I, okay. I, I'll pretty. take that bet. We're running out of time. I'll take that bet. You're both what, over under. What's the over under? What year were you born? I, I, he was born in 1912. <laughs> <laughs> well, I act that way. I love so you, we'll It's a we'll day off from work. Okay. You're given a sedative, just like a colonoscopy. So therefore, you don't feel a thing. You don't remember a Thank thing. Thank God. And for those 10 minutes that you're not feeling nor remembering a thing, you're placing stirrups like you're getting you know, a GYN exam. And Amanda places the probe. No. In the waiting room. <laughs> From the waiting room. Walk, in the waiting she room. also she puts, administers she the people, anesthesia. We I, have saved so much so money on she Amanda. She puts the calls on hold. Yeah, hold on. I got to do a vag wand. Thank, you for, wand call, wand. thank you for calling Boston IVF. Please so, hold Please hold the probe. <laughs> the ultrasound probe that you're inserting gives the physician performing the procedure an image on a screen. And that probe has a needle guide. And you pass the needle along the probe through the basically the top of the vagina into the ovaries and you drain the follicles of their fluid and they contain the eggs. You go home with Tylenol and or Advil, gradually increase your activity over the next couple of days. Okay, so now those eggs are in my lab. When I say my lab, I mean my embryologist. You don't want the physicians doing anything with these (laughs) gametes. Amanda doesn't... I do not (laughs) test the gametes. We're training her. (laughs) (laughs) So what happens is her husband left uh, a semen specimen that day, and we extract from his semen if it was the condi- good swimmers. Well, if it was a condition where it was male factor infertility, that there's not a sperm, you're injecting the sperm into the eggs. Otherwise, you're just mixing the two together. It doesn't really matter. When you do that, 70% of the eggs fertilize normally. They are now called embryos. So that's what an embryo is. Okay. It's a fertilized egg. Okay. So getting back to that point about testing, for certain men and women, for certain women who have a really good ovarian reserve and produce a lot of embryos, you can grow all those embryos out to day five and six of their development when they have hundreds of cells. They are now called blastocysts. Okay. Yes. Blastocysts have developed to a point where you can test some of the cells. So there's two groups of cells in a blastocyst. This is getting too biology No, this is amazing. I love it. Okay. So there's one group called the inner cell mass. These are the cells that will develop into the fetus. You don't touch them. All the other hundreds of cells are called, well, you'll hear this terminology in my field a lot, trophectoderm. Wow. Trophectoderm are the cells that develop. Man, did you like it when I talked to Nancy? Trophectoderm. <laughs> Can you these say it slower? <laughs> <laughs> these, are the cells, these are the cells that develop into the placenta. You remove a group, doesn't hurt the embryo, then you freeze the embryos. You're not doing a transfer into the uterus. 
and then approximately 10 days later, you'll see which embryos have a normal array of chromosomes, okay. which ones are abnormal. A lot of ethics here, by the yes. way, and that's part of what I love about my job. It's provocative, and you have to think about these things. Theoretically, and not all patients choose this, you could discard or donate those chromosomally abnormal embryos. You keep those that are, quote, chromosomally normal. In a subsequent menstrual cycle, oftentimes with either administration of hormones or with the patient's own inherent ovulation, you thaw and transfer one of those chromosomally normal embryos. Because you did that, you've lowered the rate of miscarriage. Because remember, I told you that's why we that's miscarry. That's why we miscarry. And therefore, you're increasing the chance of achieving a pregnancy that leads to a live birth. And to your point, it's going to lower your risk of having a child impacted by Down syndrome. Uh, are, are, are we, I know this is starting to get into an ethical conversation, but are, are they given a choice? Are they, like, if you find, if you screen and you find, are the parents, do you say, well, this, this you might have a child with Down syndrome? So many women and men are not getting that testing done. Okay. What's the number one reason they don't get that testing done? Well, number one, it's not covered by insurance. Okay. And that's going to cost sure. thousands of dollars. Sure. Number two, they might not be a candidate because in the end, without getting too complicated here, to have enough embryos in an IVF cycle that make it to day sure. five to be tested you have to have a really good response yeah. to the treatment. So conventional IVF, where you're not freezing all the embryos and you're not doing the testing, is where you, you don't wait till day five because you feel if you keep waiting in the Petri dish, these embryos yeah. might not make it. So then you transfer the embryos day three when they haven't been tested. But by doing that, you're only conferring to that couple the same risk of having a baby with Down syndrome as natural conception. Right. You're, you just don't have that level of control. You're, so when a woman at age 35 conceives a child, whether it's the fun way or it's the IVF way, <laughs> the, the chance of conceiving a child impacted with Down syndrome is 1 in 250. We're not altering that risk. We just can't control it because right. she doesn't have enough embryos to right. test. So not everybody is a candidate. And if you are a couple who have infertility or a woman who has infertility, and you're of a more advanced reproductive age, and you're suffering from recurrent miscarriages, sure. which is brutal. Miscarriages Ugh. are downplayed in this society. Yes, they yes. are. And women aren't given a forum to discuss it, and the beauty of discussing it is you find out, my God, all my friends and family have had miscarriages. Has, had, I didn't even know it. And I didn't even know it's it. It's crazy, it's crazy. I need to talk about the waiting room when you're done. Because okay. I, I swear I have a point for this. Okay, and so many of those couples want to have a level of control that I can mitigate sure. the miscarriage risk. I can only do it Wait. if she's going to respond well, and we don't know until I've done that testing and how she responds. So even though patients often crave to be a candidate, they might not be a candidate. Sure. Oh. So like when I got my retrieval with Molly, or well, that's how I associated my first retrieval, I got like 13 eggs, which I thought was pretty good. And then my retrieval with Dylan, I think I only got like six. Just wow. because my I, I was five years older. And we had frozen my embryos from when Molly was there, but they didn't thaw well. That, so, it's changed. So yeah. what's happened in the last decade yeah. has, I mean, exploded. Oh, my God, when yeah. When I first came on board at Boston IVF and when Amanda was 
pretty much like you do now, tell me what to do every single day. <laughs> I um, love you, Amanda. We were doing day three transfers. Yeah, I remember. Molly survival, was day three. Survival of previously frozen embryos was poor, and success rates were not good. And what has happened over this last decade and a half is that um, we've really have um, made it so much more precise the way in which the way in which we monitor embryos and get them to day five. That's amazing. And now, when you freeze embryos on day five, whether it whether they're surplus, yep. or whether they're, you're doing this because you're doing genetic testing, their survival upon thawing is over ninety five percent. Wow! And the live birth rate from a thaw cycle often is better than a fresh cycle because it's a more controlled environment timed with the patient's ovulation, for instance. Oh. So IVF, since you were here, has, has taken off. Jesus. And actually, the, um, the best studies to date, looking at the treatment of couples with unexplained infertility that define what's the, what's the best algorithm was sure. actually from, this is going to sound like I'm promoting my brand, but was promote away. Was, I don't was care done at Boston IVF where in combination with the three main insurers in Massachusetts, the Harvard School of Public Health, we determined that the fastest way for couples to get pregnant was to not go through the onerous insemination treatments that seem to take forever, but get faster to IVF. Yes. The advantage being you're controlling how many embryos go into that uterus. You're not causing high order multiple pregnancies, which we don't like. No. Patients think, oh, twins, that'll be fun. No, we want to get a successful low risk pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. And IVF allows you to do that because you're controlling the embryo transfer as opposed to taking fertility oh. drugs without IVF. And number two, from the insurance perspective, it was they were spending less money because you got pregnant faster because the success rates were, were better. Oh my! And that's and that coupled with yes. the improvement in the technology over the last decade and a half is why you're hearing so much more about IVF. That's, well, that's it, amazing. It's not your mother's IVF. No, it's, uh, right, literally, right, I can right, say that it's not right. your mother's <laughs> IVF. Right. And right. it's and for, like a TV show. I know. <laughs> Do we write those? So uh, it's funny that you said that. I wanted to talk about the miscarriage and what you were saying. I was I was lucky. I, I say that loosely. Uh, I didn't suffer. I both I got pregnant and they sucked both times. Um, but the funny thing is, I always thought the waiting room was funny because it was so quiet. And I'm a loudmouth, and like as a girl, and I know I, no. I'm not supposed to call I'm not supposed to call myself a loudmouth in business. We've talked about that, but I'm generally loud. And I'm going through something, and, and I'm not super private about it. I was private at certain times just because it was too painful to talk about. But we're sitting in this room where you're with all these cool people who, who are gay and straight or trans. Who cares? Everyone's going through the same fucking thing, and no one's talking. No one's talking. Guys are coming in with their like their hats and their brown paper bags. And they like just jerked off to eighties porn somewhere. <laughs> like, do you know what I'm saying? And no one's talking. Like, it's kind of funny. <laughs> Did you just have it? Update your porn. That's the last image I'm gonna have tonight. That's the takeaway from the takeaway. Update your porn. Update your update your porn from if the seventies bush. But but my whole point is like <laughs> he's like and I just got him fired from Boston Ivy. Sorry. But we're sitting in a waiting room. Have like an outreach. I'm not even joking. Go in, go in one of those little conference have rooms. Have the wand. Have the <laughs> wand and an outreach. Amanda, we've got a fluff job for you. <laughs> You're now the outreach. A different kind of vaginal no, wand. Yeah. We'll, we'll give her a few different ones. But, but we're you all. A wand. Do you know one person once talked to me? One person once. It's probably Masha. It was. No, she was, flew in from California. 
she she flew in from California and she was I don't I don't know because Massachusetts I was trying to say this earlier but you were way more interesting I when I traveled with uh, Gonel F that time no one talks about IVF or at least they didn't 10 years ago and like we're so lucky I, I my kids were a copay like I'm so, <laughs> my kids were, my kids were a copay. The, the gonal F and the clomid and all the drugs I took were what actually cost the most money. And thankfully, because I met someone when I traveled to Vegas that time who was also going through IVF when we we're discussing this at the blackjack table, because I left to go give myself a shot in my room and it came back down and I must have done something. And she's like, are you a diabetic? And I went into this whole thing and like, eh, I'm going through IVF. And so we're going, she's like, oh, I am too. But she was in Arizona. And we stayed in touch, and she so hers didn't take. She never was able to get pregnant, unfortunately. She told me she bought herself some really good boobs, though. But like seriously, <laughs> that was because there's always was, a secondary like, gain. I couldn't even imagine going through IVF with the cost as as a single woman, as gay or straight, as trans or whatever cancer patient, where it's not covered, and you're mourning the fact that you didn't get pregnant or you miscarried, and then you're like, oh fuck, I'm out like twenty grand too. So like. That's some of the stuff I always I always come back to your waiting room. Also, you had Herman Miller chairs, and one time Chris turned one over, and I think everyone was like, he wanted to see who made the chair. You're like, I don't even know who. Uh, who the heck it's, is Herman it's Miller? It's nice. My husband is a web. You have good he, chairs in your waiting room. Well, we're, we're in a new office now, so you haven't been to the new office. I haven't. Seen, okay. And I I might visit you, but I never want to be there again in the nicest <laughs> way possible. I don't take that personally. Um, but I'm saying, like, there was all these cool people in this waiting room who are going through all of the same things and everyone is quiet as a mouse and I never understood that like I just and I and like to me I look back on it and I picture those waiting rooms where everyone's like oh, like not knowing what to say hey I almost did it like one of the times I'm like fuck it. it was like with Dylan you know I've already been through this one so I want to be like hey this totally sucks right can't get pregnant by myself I can't <laughs> go have get up and do right? two minutes set I know like I can't I can't I can't go like have sex in a bathroom with my husband and be like oh my god remember when we were crazy and did those things like you know I I have to like doctors have to help me and but you have saved me because when my daughter has started to ask about how pregnancy works and how she came to be, I said the doctors helped. <laughs> like I wasn't ready to have the conversation. Like Let's the doctors helped mommy call. and daddy. For, for both personal and professional reasons, I think that's the only way you can right? have a baby. I have no the idea. The doctors <laughs> helped. This is my only chance to get a woman pregnant, so I'm just kind of overachiever here. <laughs> that is so true. But yeah, so I mean, that was. I don't know. That was like my two cents. I mean, I, I loved you guys. I loved the progress and the progress that you made. Even when in 2009, when I saw you for Molly in 2014, when I saw you for Dylan, I mean, even the differences where we were talking about day three and day five and the drugs I was on and we went straight to IVF and I got pregnant. You know what I mean? Like it, it was life changing and it was, it felt easier maybe just cause I knew what to expect, but I also knew I trusted you. And so that was there was there was you know i don't know there was it made me sane it made me as sane as i could be during so it so we're sane now you're, yeah yeah oh, we're sane okay. we're sane ish i am never going to be accused of being totally sane because you it's know it's overrated it is it's not as much fun are you it, saying oh. you're sane amanda okay. amanda sounding people in the waiting room <laughs> <laughs> she's like i'm fucking the sanest person at this table please that is setting the bar very very low well so we gotta wrap it up which i'm yep. so depressed I, we'll have to have you back on too because uh, i there's be so honor. much i'd be, be flattered seriously be flattered. please please come back and you too amanda um uh, because if With there's the wand. She, she, by the way bring the wand 
I don't go anywhere without Amanda. So. <laughs> well, it's a good thing I suggest. I was like, I want you to bring Amanda because she was so integral. Like, you were great. But Amanda, like, we would, like, you know, shoot the shit. Like, I'd have to schedule my ultrasounds, the wand. The wand. And it really, it's fine. It's like that, the wand, the only time I ever didn't like it was during, I you, I just remember this sitting here when, when you have to do it when you have your period for the men, the menstrual cycle testing. And I was like, oh, no one wants anything up there during that time. But it, to be honest with you, to a gynecologist, I'm being completely serious. It's we're not even noticing that. And it's That's... and it's and thank and thank God, like seriously, because as a woman, you're like, wow, I'm very aware of the fact that I am bleeding and there is a wand up my pussy. So that's wonderful. <laughs> oh! <laughs> On that note. On that note. <laughs> Don't be honest. Send me that picture. HR. HR. Shut we just have to say podcast what, Yeah, Dr. You Riley's know, face just now. His was, jaw dropped. And we will, uh, Amanda's going to text me that picture. We'll share all these. So, so classy. You so keep listen, it classy. I, you know, I've never been, uh, no, you know what my mom said? I'm all class, just low. <laughs> That's what she always says to me. Thank you, my Jewish mother. But anyway, so Dr. Riley, Amanda, I cannot thank you enough for being here for sharing your expertise, for giving my, my babies. Um, but truly, I mean, I, I this is a huge topic, one that we will definitely circle back to because there's more, there's so much more we could talk about. And uh, I also do want to have, like, I have a, um, some friends who, like, one of my, a group of friends, she and her wife have had twins, and then they just had a third baby, and they are kind of going back and forth with insurance because, like one of them wants to like kind of what you were saying one of them wants to carry the baby but do it with her partner her wife's we do that egg. commonly it's called partner assisted reproduction yes and we do do it yep. Be- because the because the woman uh, who doesn't want to do it she had a really Correct. awful pregnancy like she was sick and it was brutal Correct. so so anyway but i i they are texting me as we speak which is so funny <laughs> um but seriously thank you so much for being here brideys and beyonders i hope you learned everything and anything please feel free to email me at hello at bitchlessbride.com you can find me on the socials at bitchlessbride uh, also bitchlessbride and beyond you can find dr riley and amanda at bostonivf.com and if you have any questions from today's thing feel free reach out to them too if you're curious i'm always happy to talk about my journey next week we will be digging a little bit deeper into this journey as well um, with a friend of mine who went through IVF and did not end up having kids. So I want to talk about kind of what the other side looks like and how that impacts and how to talk to people who've gone through that and maybe the success rate. She did not go to Boston IVF. Uh, <laughs> just like, she, um, but anyway, so thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and give me Bye. Uh, and we love your suggestions. We love your questions. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for your thank advocacy. You. Oh, my, uh, anything I could ever do. I really mean that. So Great. thank you. Maybe come do some comedy in the waiting room. Oh, I will totally do it. I'm going to do comedy <laughs> in the waiting room. I'm telling you, just get like one of those little side rooms. Ew, that sounds dirty. That sounds so dirty. <laughs> with, with the one. With the one. With the one. And the porn. And the 70s porn. And the porn. And the, porn. the 70s yeah. bush. All right, I got to wrap it up. I love you guys. Thank oh, you so much. Oh, we're still recording? We're still recording. What? What? Yeah, bye. <laughs>